audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, church, I hope that you are doing well. Uh, We get to dive in this morning to our final chapter of our book. You ready? All right, so if you have your Bibles, grab them. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3. And while you find your place with me there, is anyone here forgetful? (laughs) Better question, I guess, would be, is anyone here ready to admit that you are forgetful? For some of us, it may be names. Anyone? Yeah, names. Where you you will be in a conversation with someone for, you know, 15, 30 minutes. You'll say their name multiple times in the conversation. And then as soon as the conversation is over, walk away and have no idea. I mean, not even the slightest clue what their name is. Anyone? You've been there? For some of you, maybe it's math. I think it might be humorous <laughs> for some of us to sit through an eighth grade math class. I think this little exercise would show us, wow, we have forgotten so much for some. It may be your keys. Now, I brought my keys up here to show you resounding proof of my forgetfulness. You see this? This little, uh, this little tile here on my keychain, resounding proof of my forgetfulness. See, with this little tile, with my phone, I am able to locate my keys anywhere at any time. It'll show me the little map, show me right where they are. That is awesome. And get this, if I can't find my phone, no worries. I can hold this little button down. And it will, my phone will go off and it'll let me know where my phone is. How cool is that? More than that, this is, uh, this is my wallet. And guess what? Look at this. There's one in here too. There's one in here too. Get this. So that means at any given time, I can find my phone in my, my wallet from, or I can find my keys in my wallet from my phone and I can locate my phone from my keys or my wallet. And if I really lose my phone, my wife's phone can track my phone. So I am covered. Why do I do all this? Because I am forgetful. The sad thing is I didn't buy this for myself. No, 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 no. My wife bought me this because she was tired of my rummaging around frantically through the house looking for my stuff, right? It's a good gift. It's a really good gift. But I am forgetful. We are forgetful. And nowhere is this more true than in the gospel itself. This is a shared symptom, church, of our condition, of those who are saved yet being sanctified, freed from sin and death through Jesus, yet battling sin each and every day. Our symptom is forgetfulness. We need continually, continual reminding of Christ, what he has done. We need the continual reminding of our identity in Christ. And that is true for us today, and it was true for the first century church as well. 
And so with that in mind, I want us to listen to how Peter begins this chapter. He says this, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. This is a reference to his first letter, right? He says this, In both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter says, remember scripture, remember the word of God, remember the word that God had given you through the apostles, through the prophets, through the scripture. Remember first and foremost, Christ. Remember that the prophets predicted Christ, pointed forward to Christ, prophesied about Christ, and now remember that the apostles then shared the message of Christ, his teachings, his commandments. Remember, do everything that you do, remember, because you are prone to forget. You have always been prone to forget. In fact, um, as I was thinking about this, I'm convinced as I read the teachings of the New Testament about communion, as Jesus instructs his disciples in communion, I'm convinced that the Lord's Supper was given to us as a gift, as a, in a tool to fight against our own forgetfulness. It is as though Jesus kind of knows, hey, my sheep are going to be sheep. They're going to wander off. They're prone to wander. They're prone to forget. They're prone to distraction. And Jesus says, here, take this. Take this bread, take this cup, and as often as you take it, remember me. Remember me until I come, until I return. Here at Stone Oak Bible, we typically take communion together every weekend. Why? Why do we do this? Well, I told you already, because I am forgetful and prone to wonder and prone to distraction. And because you are forgetful prone to wonder, prone to distraction. And guess what? As we, when we come together, it is not surprising that we are forgetful. (laughs) We are prone to wonder. We are prone to distraction. See, we can focus on so many things. We could run in so many directions as the church together. Our lives are crazy at times, right? But each week, We intentionally stop. We intentionally push the pause button, come together to remember and to center ourselves on Christ, to remember. On a personal level, church, for some of us, we are the most prone to forget, prone to distraction when things are difficult in our lives. When we are going through tough things, when when we are going through difficulties, We can give in to worry and fear and anxiety and we can forget Christ through the distraction. But for many more of us, we are most prone to forget when things are good, when we are comfortable, when we are at ease. We give in to distraction when complacency and safety sets in and we forget Christ. And in this, Peter says, I'm stirring up your mind by way of reminder that you should, that you should remember 
And remember, Peter is writing this, knowing his time was short, knowing he's he was facing persecution that was going to take his life. And knowing this, Peter focuses the church on the single most important thing. Everything is centered on the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came, he fulfilled the law and all of the prophets. That he lived the perfect life as the God-man. That he died for our sins, giving his perfect life in exchange for sinners. That he rose from the dead on the third day, conquering death. That he is now our mediator, interceding for us and offering us forgiveness of sins through his blood so that we can know him today and so that we can be with him forever. That is the gospel and this is gospel centrality. It is all about Christ, centered on Christ and we have nothing apart from Christ and everything because of Christ. And Peter says, remember, remember Christ. Center everything on him. Continually remember him. Never stop remembering him. This is Peter's reminder to the church. And here is why Peter gives this reminder. Not only are we prone to forget, prone to distraction, not only that, but here is why Peter gives us this reminder. Listen to this in verse 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Now, we don't use the word scoffer all that much. But this is a word, well, maybe you do, but I don't. This is a word, though, that means mocking, a mocker. It is to ridicule, it is to make fun of. Peter says, church, know that in the last days, you are going to be mocked. You are going to be ridiculed. The things that you hold to are going to be made light of. And let's be clear here as to what will happen. Your scriptures are going to be mocked and they're going to be ridiculed. The things that you hold to are going to be mocked. All that the gospel is and all that Christianity stands on is going to be ridiculed. And Peter points them to the fact that their communities, the culture around them, and worst of all, even people from within the church are going to rise up and they're going to seek to compromise the gospel, ridicule and mock it, seek to change it, modify it to make it more palatable. And church, I don't want to sound, you know, apocalyptic here, but that's exactly what has happened. Is this not exactly what we see happening all around us? And I know you've seen this. I mean, just think of this. Think of this. We've seen a shift. Our community has gone from, and, and this is a long time ago. This is before my time, before any of your times. But our community has gone from over here saying, we love your God and we love your morals. Then there was a shift that happened that says, you know, we don't really do the whole God thing. We don't really believe in your God, but we like your morals. You're good people, good citizens, right? Then 
there was yet another shift. And this is the shift we are in now that says, you know, we don't believe in your God and we don't like your morals. You see this shift that has taken place? And as a result, in most areas of our culture, our belief in Jesus is mocked. I was reminded about this uh, several weeks ago. My son, my oldest son, loves dinosaurs. I mean, loves them and has for years. And for a while now, his goal, he, what he wants to be when he grows up is a paleontologist. <laughs> Which is awesome. As a dad, I think that would be awesome. And in fact, uh, last night he uh, set up his room as a uh, as a museum with all these kind of bones and books and all kinds of. He loves it. He's all in, right? Now, just imagine with me if um, if he stays on this path. He grows up and. Uh, continues on this path toward paleontology. Imagine. Can you even imagine the amount of ridicule, how difficult it would be for my son to be a Christian paleontologist? The ridicule, the mockery, the scoffing that he would have to endure. My son's pathway to paleontology reminded me how true this passage really is, how true Peter's warning is, how applicable it is for for us. And it's not just paleontology. This can be seen all throughout our culture. And look at verse 4. Because this is, is this not exactly what we have seen? Verse 4 says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. This application here of this text is apples to apples. This is exactly what we've seen. I mean, you say that Jesus is coming back. You say the kingdom of heaven is coming down. You say judgment is coming. You say all this. You say Jesus is going to return. But where is he? Where is he? Everything is just as it's always been. Ever since the prophets, ever since the apostles, ever since Christ came, walked the earth, all things just continue along as they've always been. You tell me he's coming, so where is he? The belief in Jesus and his return is minimized, often ridiculed and mocked, turned into some spiritual hooky-kooky belief that's not based in reality. And I want to even drill down into this more, um, to be more clear on what exactly our text is talking about. What specifically in our text is being mocked? And to, to see that, I, I want to invite you to turn back with me a few pages in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. And while you're getting there, um, listen, as we talk and as we think about the return of Jesus the image that, that often comes to our mind is one of joy. 
especially for those who trust Christ. I mean, for those in Christ, we think of the joy of seeing our Savior, seeing Jesus, the object, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, and we think about being with him. That's joy. But let us not forget that his return will be one of judgment. Listen to this in 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for, for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. You could pause here and say, and they scoff or they, they ridicule you. Same, same idea here. Verse 5, but they will give account. To him, that is Christ, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. See, church, Jesus is going to return, and when he does, he will judge the living and the dead. We as believers stand on this, believe this, proclaim this, but to a lost world, to the world that Peter, um, in Peter's words, as Peter says, they living in sensuality, Passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless, idolatry, debauchery. To that world, the idea of Christ returning as judge is ridiculed. A returning judge? Where is he? The world has gone on for ages and we have not seen him. He has not returned yet. Where is he? And to this, Peter is clear in verse 5. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The belief that Jesus is going to return is a belief in Christ as the sovereign and perfect judge. And listen, to a world who rejects him as their gracious savior, rest assured they are going to reject him, the idea of him as their righteous judge. Peter says, this is what they're going to say. This is how they're going to ridicule you. And in the face of all of that, remember, church, center yourself on the good news of Christ, centered yourself on the fact that his word is true and hold fast to it, knowing he will return, knowing that what he said is true, and knowing that one day we will see him face to face and stand before him, just as he said. Peter says, church, there are coming there are those coming who are going to deny the fact that that judgment is coming. So hold fast. So with me, would you turn back to 2 Peter? Turn to the right a few pages, 2 Peter. Let's pick it up in, in chapter 3, verse 5, and let's finish out our section here. Listen to this, for they deliver, deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. 
Now, this is a specific reference back to the creative work of God in Genesis 1 and 2, when God spoke all things out of nothing into existence. And Peter says they deliberately overlook that fact. They overlook Genesis 1 and 2. But not only that, they are intentionally overlooking Genesis 6 through 9 as well. Look at verse 6. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Now, what's this referencing? Well, this is calling our attention back to the flood of Noah. As you recall, this is a time in history when the world turned against God, all ran to sin and to judgment, all but one, all but Noah. And in this moment, God intervened. God issued his judgment on the earth. God issued judgment on the wickedness through the great waters of the flood. And Peter is saying here, hey, there are those who are saying that God will not judge us. There are those who are sarc- who sarcastically ask, where is he? You are forgetting that God has already demonstrated his judgment before. God has already demonstrated his divine judgment on sin through the flood of Genesis 6 through 9. We've already seen it. And then listen to the way that Peter now links creation to judgment. Uh, listen to verse 7. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. In other words, look at this. The same word, the same power, the same God who created the universe, who created all things out of nothing, is the same word the same power, the same God who will return as righteous judge and who will judge the living and the dead. So Peter says, remember Christ, fix your eyes upon Christ. You who are prone to forget, remember him constantly. Now, church, I want you to think about this. Do you know what would be the least popular message that I could ever preach. Do you want to know what would, you want to hear one of the least popular messages that you could ever give? Here it is. It's to say this. You ready? God has a standard and his standard is his and not ours to determine. His standard is perfection and no sin will stand before him. We do not determine what is good enough. We do not determine what sin is is uh, acceptable and which ones are more serious. We do not determine what is right in his eyes. But our God is the perfect and righteous and holy judge. And one day Jesus Christ will return and he will be our judge and we will give an account for our lives. And on that day, we are not going to be judged according to our scales or with our modern standards of what we have defined as right and wrong. No, We are going to be judged according to his perfect standards, according to his perfect righteousness. Jesus will return and he will judge perfectly and every person will stand before him on that day. (laughs) Chances are, church, that that kind of message would earn you a good amount of ridicule out there. I'm just, for example, just 
thinking of if you were to come to your kid's soccer game and kind of drop that truth bomb on the sidelines as parents are watching their kids, right? (laughs) That would not go well. Um, But hear me. Not only that, my fear is, is, is not that it doesn't go well out there. Like, I get why dropping the truth bomb at the soccer game it would be a little uncomfortable, right? I get that. Here's my fear, though, is that that message, not only has it become uncomfortable out there, but my fear is that it has become unpopular in here. And by in here, I mean in the church. I mean, there are much more inclusive messages that I could preach. There are much much more encouraging and positive messages that I could deliver. But church, let us be careful. Because if we do not talk about sin, we'll never understand the work of Christ on the cross. If we refuse to talk about judgment, we will never fully understand salvation. If we are unwilling to talk about the bad news apart from Christ, we can never fully understand the good news in Christ. More than that, if we soften, if we downplay the reality of the bad news, we, by default, will soften and downplay the reality of the good news of the gospel. If we perceive life apart from Christ as being less bad, then we will perceive life in Christ as being less good. And here's what we're left with. I have a scientific term for what we are left with when that happens. You ready for it? It's this. Blah. Blah. That's blah Christianity. That is blah. And that's not the Christianity I want. Having said that, I do want to be careful here because I'm not talking about hell, fire, brimstone kind of messages. I'm not talking about yelling judgment, hell, condemnation, turn or burn at each other and at the world around you. Please hear me. No. <laughs> Don't hear me wrong. I'm not suggesting we adopt a hellfire brimstone message. I am suggesting that we get back to the preaching of amazing grace. See, grace is getting what we do not deserve. Grace is understanding what we do deserve so that we can then understand that we didn't get it. Grace is understanding that we are undeserving. And if we fail to understand our sin... If we fail to understand the gravity of our own sin and the reality of the judgment, then we fail to understand grace. Grace is cheapened and amazing grace becomes less amazing. In other words, we don't preach and teach 2 Peter by yelling, hell, condemnation, judgment is coming, turn or burn. No, We preach, we teach, we understand 2 Peter knowing two things. First, we preach 2 Peter with confidence in Christ, that we stand in Christ. The perfection of Christ has been applied to our account and we are made perfect through him. 
that we will stand in Christ on the judgment day. And in that judgment, we are declared righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We will stand in Christ as all of our sins and all our unrighteousness was placed on Christ as Christ took our punishment on that cross and took our death. And we stand in his righteousness. So in Christ, we preach 2 Peter with confidence. We understand 2 Peter with confidence. At the same time, number two, we preach 2 Peter, we teach 2 Peter, we understand 2 Peter with a heavy heart, with a heavy burden. For all of those who do not yet know him, for all of those who ridicule, for all of those who scoff, for all of those who mock, our hearts should be broken. I want you to hear me. No Christian, no Christian should deny or reject judgment or hell, the truth of it. No Christian should reject the truth of God's word about this because to reject that would be to lie. No Christian should, should reject that truth. And at the same time, hear me, no Christian should ever preach judgment and hell with a smile with a judgmental smirk on our faces. Instead, all Christians should know and preach judgment for sin, the day of the Lord. And we should preach this with a heavy, through tears and a heavy burden and a broken heart for all of the people who do not yet know Jesus. All Christians should live with an unspeakable burden to see all people hear the good news of Jesus and to, he, to see all people respond. All Christians should preach amazing grace. Preach Christ and the forgiveness of sins through his work. And as we look at 2 Peter 3, our faith should be strengthened because we are reminded, we remember that his word is true, that Jesus will return. In church, by the way, this is only the beginning of chapter 3. We have so much more incredible things to work through ahead. But listen, as I studied 2 Peter 3, my heart is burdened for our community. Right now, we are surrounded by a community, by people, by families, by kids. Right now, we are in a school. We're in an auditorium at a school, and in a few weeks, this room, these halls are going to be filled with kids, so many kids, and so many of whom do not yet know Jesus, and so many who do not believe in the word of God. And I was just reminded that there is a judgment coming. There is a time coming when all things will be made right, when all things will be made perfect. There is a time coming when Jesus is going to return. And as I read this, I was just struck again with an urgency to share the gospel. To share the grace of Jesus Christ, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, because our time is short. How does knowing and believing the truth of 2 Peter 3, church, how does knowing and believing, trusting that Jesus is going to return, how does that change the way you live your life? Does it change the way you live your life? Does it change your priorities? Does it change your perspective? 
It has changed my perspective this week. Specifically, does remembering this truth bring anyone to your mind? Do you have a scoffer in your life? How can you pray for them this week? How can you serve them? How can you speak to them? Listen, like the early church, we too face some incredible difficulties today. It, it, that is clear. We will face, and we, we face, we will continue to face the scoffers. Let us not be surprised by this, and let's not give over to discouragement. Instead, let's remember together that our God, in the truth of his word, will long outlive the scoffers, so stand firm. And to do that, the call this morning is so simple. In Peter's words, the call is this, that you should remember that you would remember Christ and that through all things you should remember Christ, remember that he will return. And because of this truth, for all those who remember Christ, we are able to stand firm in him until the day comes when we see him face to face as he returns. And I want to encourage you with this this morning. Hebrews 6.19 Hebrews 6.19 says this, For we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. Let me read that again. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. This hope, our hope is Jesus Christ. Our sure and our steady anchor is Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter's call to us this morning is to remember your hope, to remember you have a sure and steady anchor. Remember Christ and through him, no matter what you face in this life, no matter what the storm, no matter the trial, hear me, no matter the scoffers and no matter what the scoffers say, hear me church, your anchor holds. Your anchor holds. So look to Christ this morning and remember him. And I'd like to finish our time a little differently than normal. I want us to finish our time by learning and singing a, a new song together. It's a, it's a song, it's a new hymn, and honestly, it says it better than I ever could. So instead of me trying to, to rework it, we're just going to sing it and, and sing it together. So church, as we prepare to sing it, would you stand with me? Now, before we sing it, um, I just would like to finish our time together in this text by just reading the first verse of this song. All right, so listen to this church. Listen to this. Remember this. Christ the sure and steady anchor. In the fury of the storm, when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn. In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed.